All right. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Let's talk about football. <laughs> NFL football. Not my favorite sport, but this is actually a really interesting I've case. I've heard of it. Of Which, football. Uh, football. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm Not soccer. But, nope. um, but uh, football, and actually I was thinking about this too in terms of what this uh, Deshaun Watson is who we're going to talk about. And, um, you know, he's got multiple accusers. He had a bunch of civil um, lawsuits against him. 24 civil suits. As well as criminal charges in two different locations. And uh, we'll get into that in a minute. But um, some amazing stuff came out because of the civil suits in terms of the police investigation, which you've been yeah, having so, fun going through. So for, you know, for the purpose of our podcast, so we don't, you know, lately we've been covering uh, stuff in other jurisdictions in the United States. So we have... Uh, quite a few viewers from the U.S. and I apologize if I if I get something uh, wrong or I'm too critical. But this is incredibly interesting. So, um, aside from what we'll talk about with respect to the criminal investigation, uh, the civil lawsuits uh, which were filed and are being uh, fought by uh, uh, Mr. Watson, uh, there is a particular deposition of one of the lead detectives. Who investigated a number of the complaints at least 10 of them at the moment he's uh they've resolved 20 out of 24 civil suits right but i'm just just from a so in the civil suit and in, in, there's one of them there's what they call in the united states a deposition we have it here called a discovery and you call witnesses and you get to ask them questions one of them is a lead investigator on the complaints in the united states um and in texas and um that investigator was being asked questions by a plaintiff lawyer and by the defense lawyer. And what comes out of it is so incredibly interesting because it's so rare to get an officer under oath in a non-criminal proceeding and delve into the investigative technique and what their mindset is and how they go about the investigation. And frankly, it's completely relatable to Canada and other jurisdictions where we're experiencing this change in evolution in law with sex assault cases. And it, it needs to really, people need to think about it because being charged, when you, when you listen to this stuff, it doesn't actually mean much in terms of whether or not there were grounds to charge you, I think is my takeaway from looking at this. Yeah. Just the fact that somebody's charged, sh the public shouldn't actually take that as an indication of anything except for somebody said something. Say that again. Somebody yeah. said something. That's all it takes for a charge to be laid. Yeah. But so, go, let's go through what, what she actually but, said. But you know what? That's a great point. So let's just, you know, I, I tweeted out actually last week and this week, you know, we have to be very careful just because somebody's charged and CBC does a story or, you know, a CP24, whatever it is, on their thing says this person's charged multiple counts of sex assault does not mean they're guilty. And, and, and you cannot presume anything from that. And we just recently had a case at the end of a preliminary inquiry where we got to cross-examine the complainant and two other complainants extensively, the Crown, who is excellent and really wanted to get at the truth, um, <clears throat> at the end of the day, reviewed the evidence from the prelim with the officer in charge, who both came to the conclusion that there was no reasonable prospect of conviction and that they had very serious concerns about the credibility of the complainant's evidence and withdrew the charges. Not and just, we can't meet the burden of proof, like right. serious credibility complaints. Serious, and this was the officer in charge. We're gonna circle back as to why this is important. 
Um, but the officer in charge and the Crown came to that conclusion after a prelim. So I started tweeting out afterward. And it's amazing because we, we I reached out to some um, media outlets to update the story, and they did. So very thankful to CBC. But on some other media platforms, our client was getting, because it's online, you get these comments, which are quite negative. And, and it's extremely important that people not believe everything you read. It's just something somebody has said. And this, when you delve into this deposition... It also goes to show you that even when you're pretty much vindicated, you're still going to be presumed guilty in the court of public opinion. That's right. I mean, this is so, this is so real time. It's so interesting. We got to get into it. So I don't know where to start. I think we should start with the criminal allegations and start with the grand jury and then go from there. So what's a grand jury? Okay, so uh, I'm going to have to read this because I want to make sure I get it completely accurately. Because we it, don't have those in, in Canada. No, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a concept in the United States. So it, there's a case, uh, Wood versus Georgia from 1962. The grand jury is regarded as the primary security to the innocent against hasty, malicious, and oppressive prosecution and serves the function of standing as a protective bulwark between the government and the defendant. The purpose of the grand jury is to determine whether a charge is founded upon reason or rather dictated by an intimidating power or by malice or personal ill will. The grand jury is intended to act as an independent body apart from the courts and prosecution to scrutinize the evidence against the defendant. In the United States, grand juries uh, uh, go by each state's rules, but they have, they're, they're comprised of lay people, so just citizens, who are summoned to court to review evidence which is proffered only by the prosecution. So there's no defense evidence. The prosecution lays out a case for a grand jury and then asks the grand jury to determine whether in the United States an indictment so charges should follow. And actually grand juries have, have powers, which is interesting. They can um, summon witnesses if they want. So they, can, they have an investigative function. So it's a very robust and interesting process where it's not just left up to a cop, I don't like saying that, a police officer or a Crown attorney in Canada, or in the United States, a, a, a US attorney, to lay the charge. A grand jury can vet it and make a decision. So that's an interesting concept. We don't have it in Canada. Uh, might so, be kind of interesting. Chris, how would you compare that to the preliminary hearing? Oh, it's completely different. Uh, at a prelim, uh, if you're lucky enough to to still get one, <clears throat> it is a, a judge who gets to decide. Um, so it's, it's- And you've already been charged. You've already been charged. You know, you could have been detained, um, held without bail for, you know, a year, a year and a half before having your prelim, uh, at which point a judge uh, takes a look at the evidence. You get to cross-examine. The defense is there to poke holes. The defense can also call evidence at a preliminary inquiry. Uh, the test is very low. It's not... Uh, Which would be true for the grand jury too, right? Oh, right. Presumably it's a very low bar. Mm. That is, um, is there enough evidence for a reasonable jury properly instructed to be uh, to find the accused guilty? Mm. And if he is or she is, uh, if there's enough evidence, then on to the trial they go. <clears throat> and then the question is, is it possible that they could be convicted? Right. right. Yeah. Right. So let's just define these concepts. So in the United States, they also have 
preliminary hearings, which are slightly different than ours. But so they have this grand jury process, which is a way of determining whether charges should be laid. Canada, we don't have this. Canada charges are laid generally by police in Ontario, some jurisdictions in our country. It has to go to a prosecutor. Prosecutor will make or be involved in a decision. In Ontario, in certain cases, depending upon the complexity, a prosecutor um, will be involved in deciding whether charges are laid, but we have no grand jury. So that's totally up to the discretion of the investigating authority and the prosecuting authority. Next, we, we used to have preliminary inquiries for almost any case that was serious by indictment. Justin uh, and the justice minister back then got rid of those because they thought complainants shouldn't too be re-victimized. It's too traumatizing for people to testify, God forbid, on a preliminary inquiry. So gone for offenses 14 years or under. That sucks. I've said this a million times. You're going to hear me saying this throughout every podcast. We need preliminary inquiries back. Next government that comes in, somehow they got to think carefully about this. We need preliminary inquiries back. So Deshaun Watson... You're Let me just do my political okay. pitch here. Okay. Okay. Which party decides to say preliminaries and preliminary inquiries are very important for for seeking truth in the criminal justice system? Gets my vote. Okay. So, anyways, now I stop. Uh, I want to. I think the Communist Party of Canada has that platform. Are you going to vote? What's their tax uh, policies? Okay. Okay. Now let's just talk about Diana. Talk about. So there were two uh, grand juries impaneled in in, uh, in Texas Watson. for Mr. Watson, right? Yeah. And um, what happened with those grand juries? So they declined to indict him. They, it was like, I've seen it referred to as a no bill or something like that. Yes. So in two different locations, there were multiple charges in one of the grand jury you know, situations. There was only a single charge in another one. And in both districts, the grand jury said, nope, this isn't going to go forward. There's nothing there. That is significant, but the first thing that happens is people saying, um, you know, the fact that a grand jury refused to indict does not mean he's innocent. Okay, so let's let's all take a drink, because right. yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. tough that's a yeah. tough one to swallow. Okay, yeah. all, one, two, three. <laughs> Honey, thank you for getting a Woodruff Reserve. Thank you. My pleasure. Okay, so I, I I'll stop monopolizing the conversation soon. So. Two grand juries impaneled, listened to a prosecutor where evidence was presented to try and get indictments on sexual assault charges. Both grand juries said no charges will be laid. Yeah, they didn't see anything there. Okay, now, public commentary came out and said, um, the decision of the pair of Texas grand juries to not indict uh, quarterback Deshaun Watson means that Watson has been exonerated. The top law enforcement officer in Harris County, Texas, disagrees. I'm going to put on my southern accent. At the end of a certain podcast interview, um, the floor was given to the investigating officer, and I'm going to do this slowly so that the officer could then state their opinion. We respect our justice process. I love the law. But. <laughs> I love the law. It's designed to get to the truth. That's really what people want. I don't think as a culture we can live with injustice. Yeah, sure. Remember a grand... You know, <laughs> Bye. Hang on. Remember a grand jury 
no bill is not exoneration. People, fuck, I can't keep my swears down. I just can't. I, I can't. I can't keep it down. When I read this stuff, my blood this boils. This is why my kids don't watch this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, oh, fuck. People, even <laughs> when they clear the criminal justice system, often face accountability and repercussions in other parts of our legal system. And so I think to determine whether justice was done in this case, you're going to have to wait and see how it all comes out on the civil side of things and then through the NFL on the administrative side of things and then people will determine whether that's justice. So... Just one sec. Yeah. People, even when they clear the criminal justice system, often face accountability and repercussions in other parts of our legal system. Vigilantism. Yeah. Like, like, seriously? After saying she respects the legal system. I love the law. Yeah. I know. I love the law. I love the law. Except for when it fails, we can just enact our own justice in the court of public opinion on social media, through kangaroo court tribunal systems in the workplace. Yeah. Or universities. But let's just, let's just develop this for a second. So this is a very clear insight. Like this is, <clears throat> this is really clear insight, and and we have insight in Canada, because after certain decisions, police, certain police commissioners, you know, other people said we believe women, but they didn't quite come out and be as bombastic as this officer in the United States. And we're going to get into this even more with this deposition. Mm-hmm. But when you think about that statement, it's chilling. Well, how do you ever clear your name before you before you get into the precise comments and stuff too, just for some general conversation? This is a case where there's like a large number of complainants that, you know, a number of people have alleged the same thing. Mind you, we have to point out once it's reported somewhere, either on social media, on Twitter or whether in a like an actual news platform, once they report an allegation, similar allegations only prove that somebody can read. That's all it proves. <laughs> but uh, a lot of people say, well, he's getting a pass because he's a celebrity. This is not just in this case, but in any case involving a celebrity, they say they're going to get away with it because they're a celebrity. Is that really the case? Or is it that celebrities tend to be targeted more by false accusations? This is great. And I'm not going to answer that question. I'm going to leave it to you two. I'm just going to say as a disclaimer, we're not making a determination by our opinions about whether there is liability here or not those cases in the united states will be settled or litigated whatever on their own merits on their own merits that's not our point here our point here is how you start from an investigative point of view in the police how then public opinion weighs in and how public opinion doesn't give a about to a large extent what a grand jury may say or even according to this police officer once somebody clears a criminal justice system like is found not guilty or the charges are withdrawn after preliminary inquiry in our case, and somebody is innocent, they still may face repercussions. Mm-hmm. So my question then, just general question, Chris, and I'll, I'll let you handle this or you can take it wherever you want to. Uh, when do the number of accusers actually become useful for determining whether or not the allegations have any veracity? Well, <laughs> I think the requirement is like, whether it's one accuser or a hundred accusers, it's in a court of law once the evidence is tested. The number doesn't matter until you're able to test 
the veracity, credibility of the evidence. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, this is just a basic elementary proposition that should be the norm. Right. So, but it's not. You know, and, and the legal term would be like similar fact evidence, which sometimes is allowed, right? So, correct. Yeah. Correct. And, and, and it's highly probative but in certain instances. But it's only probative once you've actually kind of investigated whether or not there's independence, any collaboration. Correct. Things like that. So, Correct. Well, let's not say investigated. Well, so, I'd say investigated. Because we know the how court. these investigations. No, but the, so no. now we have real time, honest opinions about how Through we investigate. Court. But, yeah, there, okay. but there's, we'll a, the, there's a higher bar in terms of the admissibility of the ability for the jury or the judge to consider the fact that they're multiple accusers. Explain that a little bit more. So what does it mean to have multiple accusers? And then what's similar fact evidence? Because people who are watching this may not know. Okay, so multiple accusers are exactly that. More than one person accuses, you know, and accused of having done X, Y, and Z. The, the most, uh, <clears throat> I guess, the, the easiest way to think about it is um, let's say there's a, a person who's accused of committing a number of uh, break and enters, like in Home Alone, the wet bandits, and it just so happens that every time they, you know, this person like breaks Home Alone, that's exactly. the one that comes to mind. That's well, why yeah. I love you, Chris. <laughs> uh, when they they break in, uh, they uh, you know happen to burglarize the house, and what these guys always did was open up the the faucets of the master bedroom to flood the rest of the house. Right. Well, that's a particular um, unique. you know unique trait that you don't see every day. It's not like they broke in and they took something. Right. Because, you know, <laughs> that's, that's pretty generic. That's the yeah. definition of a burglary. Is, yeah. you know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, obviously, even if you have no other evidence, but there's this unique pattern to what these particular burglars do. And you can say, you know, there are 10 other burglaries that happened in this particular location. And they, it has a specific little thing like the wet bandits. You can pretty be, you know, that's probative. That's probative, you know, that's a probative fact to help you determine whether, in fact, these, you know, these other burglaries in which the people weren't caught at uh, are relevant. Are, are, of course, are it's actual. more probative if the news hasn't reported that because then you can have copycats. Copycats, very much like so. That. Yeah. And so, in sexual assault cases, if you have a trial where they're running more than one complainant, so let's say five, mm -hmm. and they bring a similar act application, so that means that the manner in which the sexual assaults occurred have a striking similarity. There are features of the sexual assaults that are strikingly similar. Then if you reach the threshold, it can be admitted to bolster the credibility of each complainant. I'm just trying not to laugh because I was looking at what the allegations were and I'm just like, I don't know if they're similar because some said that there was a medium towel involved and others said there was a beach towel. <laughs> You'll have to expand on that later. But but that that's sort of the law. You know, we're not getting into really the technicals of it. But, but if there's striking similarities, so something so similar about the pattern of behavior in the sexual assault as uh, given by each complainant, then you can use the evidence from each 
to support the other for credibility. And it typically doesn't go to what we call propensity. That is, explain that. Yeah, you know the notion that well, this guy's a bad guy on one particular occasion, you know, or you know, on ten other occasions he was a bad guy. He's likely to be a bad guy on this occasion. All right, right? Uh, that's called propensity. You know, uh, just. You bad know, character evidence. Bad character yeah. evidence. So if you've committed especially. a whole bunch of other offenses in the past, um, you know, and somebody says you probably did this this time, then, well, you did it. That leads me to one more quick question I want to ask before you get into this fascinating stuff about the investigator's attitude. Um, when somebody is accused of having sex with multiple people in a specifically bad way or whatever, does the promiscuity, the fact that they've had sex with so many different people, do you think that that weighs on the public, you know, saying, oh, they must be guilty because they're promiscuous? Uh, yeah. It depends on the member of the public. And Everybody's the, judgmental. <clears throat> well, I don't know. That's, I guess it's a generational issue and it really kind of depends. Yeah. It's, it's just kind of something that popped up in my head as I was reading through this. But anyway, so let's get to... Um, well, I, you know, I, I think that's an important point you raise. Yeah. Okay. I do because, you know... It's particularly if you think about celebrity status. Well, you can't raise promiscuity from a complainant. No, well, only about the accused. Right. So, so you know, it, if you have somebody who's a celebrity and, you know, they're promiscuous, I, I don't think that, aug- that, that, that goes well for them in a trial. You know, it may very well be that, you know, certain juries or judges might accept the fact that, yeah, well, that's part of... You know, you're a celebrity. You might wind up having a lot Especially of sex with a lot stars. of people, or right? Hugh Hefner. But you know, I think I think you know, as we um, go more into you know where certain thinking and certain um, reasoning is being pushed upon us, this will have more of a negative impact on people. Well, especially now that people are using this phrase "toxic masculinity." So I think it's very concerning that people need to be careful, especially now in our hypersexualized communities, that um, that people aren't judged solely by the fact that they're promiscuous. Men. Yeah. And the flip side is, you know, women might enjoy sex too and might want to be involved in it on a regular and consistent basis with, you know, maybe multiple partners, like whatever. I don't know. I don't judge. It is what it is. So feminists yeah. fought for with sexual freedom. But anyway. it, well, yeah, but I, I think the issue is, you know, does this, and we can examine this, is this, is this a factor that would go against the credibility of a celebrity at a trial? And we also, you know, we're going to talk about this in, in a different episode in, in more detail, but the idea that somebody wouldn't consent to a certain kind of behavior, too, is a little bit pernicious. So, yeah, we'll discuss. We'll yeah, talk about that. We'll in talk about one. that in a different episode. Yeah. So let's look at uh, how uh, the way people are judged on social media has now become part of the police investigation process. That's the way I see it. Go ahead and let's let's well, look actually at flesh that out, and then I'll get into that because flesh that out a little bit for everybody. Well, in in um, on social media, we're told to hashtag believe everybody that complainants need to be believed, and basically the accused has to prove their innocence. And the worst thing you can do if you're accused is say sorry for anything <laughs> never apologize because it's just an open fire at, at that point but um so the whole approach that people are being taught to take when they hear public accusations is now being seen as the only way to encourage victims to come forward therefore police are being trained to pretty much take the same approach we know it's happening but the evidence of that has been very sparse until 
Deshaun Watson's. Yeah, yeah so this is really interesting. So in this case, you know, he, there's been 20 out of 24 civil lawsuits settled by Mr. Watson. And they're on a basis where there is no admission of liability. And there's a lot of reasons why people want to settle stuff just to get it over with rather than having like multiple trials. And, you know, we, we there are like a, a lot His of career accusers. time is like limited in football. Like it's a like in many you sports, can't work it's limited. But he's a quarterback. Not everybody is uh, Tom Brady, um, and can last as long as he does, um, and and perform at that level. It's not so, a job you can do when you when you can't really you know run and, and engage in right high so contact sports right. anymore. You know, there's a defined period of time where you're going to have your you know. So your, he's your got peak. to deal with this stuff quickly. Right. So okay. So okay. The meat. Let's get to the meat. So in, uh, in what's called a deposition in the United States, or we call it a discovery in Canada, um, there was a tense uh, examination of a uh, police officer who, um, I'm not going to name the officer, um, who works for the Houston Police Department. And uh, well, I think she wants to be named, actually. She's doing tons of interviews. Yeah, I I don't think I need to give her more notoriety. Um, Whose 230-page deposition was obtained by Yahoo Sports, and it is an incredible insight into how, uh, I think, police investigations in some jurisdictions are now unfolding. So this officer gave evidence and there was examination by Watson's defense attorney, Rusty Harden, um, around issues about the entitlement to the presumption of innocence during the course of an investigation, whether the burden of proof should have been placed on Watson to show his innocence and the concept of coercion versus consent. And this is so... This is very important. This is so f***ing important. It, we all got to pay attention. This is like so. So coercion, important. you know, means that somebody ends up agreeing to do something, but they were coerced into doing it. That doesn't mean that they didn't actually agree. Correct. Important point. So this officer testified in her deposition that um, the evidence before the grand jury had the strongest potential for a criminal charge, yet neither uh, handed down indictments. Um. She made it clear in her uh, deposition that she believed that Watson was guilty of crimes in the 10 complaints that her unit investigated. She pointed to similarities between the accounts of the women involved, underscoring a common towel thread in their interviews. Small towel. Oh, various size towels. And and sometimes it's his towel and sometimes it's theirs. I don't uh, see any similarity whatsoever. And Baker also (laughs) lamented... you're talking about massage that she was not granted, not granted, an interview with Watson in an attempt to get his side of the alleged encounters, while also stating that her work on the Watson complaints wrapped up in September, which was roughly two months before the civil lawsuit depositions began. So do you want, do you want to comment on that? Why somebody wouldn't grant an interview to a, a detective? Uh, well, put it this way, <clears throat> anything you say can be used against you. Can and will be used against you. Uh, so any negative, anything that can be, uh, you know, 
twisted as to be inculpatory will be used against you. Anything exculpatory cannot. Mm -hmm. uh, and anything that's neutral but can still be twisted will be used. I just like so, to say can and will be used against you. I don't know if that's yeah. really the way they word it. That's the way they say it in the movies. But it just like it assumes that whatever you say is actually going to be something they can use against you. Well, it is. <laughs> well, it is. Yeah. It is. It is. So, Chris. What about I have a witness this. who can yeah. say that it wasn't me. <laughs> I can't be used against you. Wasn't me. Let me um, <laughs> just me. ask you this question as a seasoned uh, criminal defense lawyer who's dedicated to the practice of defense litigation. Uh, if a client comes to you and says... Uh, I'm being charged with X offense. The officer has invited me to attend for an interview to get my side of the story. Mr. Acey, uh, what do you think I should do? Say nothing. Shut the f*** up. Say nothing. <laughs> That's the way we've said it before. <laughs> Say nothing. I usually spend about a half hour with them doing role playing so that they understand that they are to say nothing. There is nothing to be gained, ever, 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 ever. You cannot talk your way out of it. The moment that an officer wants to meet with you, they it's not a matter of, oh, they're just thinking, and you know who knows where this will they lead. They really want to get to the truth. You know, and so on and so forth. Okay, let, let's, let's put in a disclaimer for a second. You said something amazing recently where you asked about whether this was an invitation. or I can't remember. Do you remember how you put No, I, this is where I want to say something. So I, I, I want to be careful about this because there are, uh, you know, some officers who still... Here's the thing. In Canada, like all these jurisdictions now, police officers are being told what their discretion is, which is none. You get an allegation, yeah, exactly. you, you got to lay the charge. But there are some officers who are like, yeah, no, I'd like to investigate. And they do a really good job. Yeah. And so I have a case now where it's not a case at the moment where I, I, I called up the officer and I said, officer, is this an invitation to hear his side of the story or an invitation for him to be charged? And she said to me, no, no, I really want to hear his side of the story. I, I don't think I'm going to lay charges, but I, I really want to hear his side of the story. So I said, okay. He'll attend and he's going to give a statement. No, I love and then the I made the joke that. and I said to her, and I said, you see, sometimes defense lawyers do say that. And she laughed. And it worked out because you know what? She wanted to do her job across the board. She had done a number of things uh, in her investigation and felt that she needed some information from uh, my client to close the door on the investigation, meaning not charge him. So it's, it, it happens. How, ma how many times in your career has that happened? Count on one hand or two hands? Less than 10. Yeah, exactly. Right? And you've been practicing for a long time. Um, so. Uh, Everybody calls me old. It's the uh, f***ing hair. I was born like this. I know you were. Uh that being said, I've got the funniest mental image now. The, he is the, in baby the baby pictures. gray hair, big bushy gray hair. <laughs> you know, just it is ninety nine point nine 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 times out of a hundred. Better not to say anything. There is nothing to be. Well, concerned. how many times have you seen an officer accurately summarize the accusation? Well, zero. Um, <laughs> you know the. the <laughs> yeah. <no. laughs> There goes our police officer viewers. 
Thank you for watching. Look, uh, when it comes to the bail... There's a reason. I actually have a theory on this. They can't summarize it properly because when the complainant says something that doesn't make sense, they don't understand it, so they don't remember it. Maybe. I mean, I, I just I want to just segue for one second. Back when I first started practice, um, I've been practicing now for 30 years. So during the first 10 or 15 years of practice, it was a bit of a different era. And then one fun thing we used to do within the office, and uh, my old partner, David, uh, I'm not going to say his last name because he's a judge now. Um, one of the fun things we used to do at the end of the year was we used to gather up the funniest synopsis. So uh, a police officer, when they... Uh, some of them were f***ing brilliant I want to writers. go back to doing that again. They were really that funny. Really so some, you know, police officers have to prepare something in, in Ontario called a synopsis. And it's basically an occurrence report. So they say, they just summarize what happened and what, you know, what's going to what's gonna happen. And so we'd gather up some of the funniest occurrence reports because officers back in that day had senses of humor. And I had a case where this client would steal vans. And he was preparing a synopsis and something also for the bail hearing. And said, it's my... Allegedly would steal yeah, vans. Yeah. And he goes, it, he went through the history. He goes, and as soon as he's let out on bail, which I know he will be let out on bail, he's going to steal a van from the parking lot of the courthouse. <laughs> and so they'd write some of these occurrence reports and they were just f***ing hilarious. And I miss that era because that was a different era. The police officers had far more discretion to investigate. I think it, a sense of humor has got to be essential to that kind of they, job. But, you so. know... There were some, you know, I, I it, there were just some guys I dealt with who were officers who had a great sense of humor, who were like, you could fight it out with them in court, you could have a, you know, a drink with them afterward, they'd write these great synopsis, and it just, and but they investigated, they did it differently, and we're in an era of political correctness now, where, where policies are being written by politicians to handcuff, uh, you know, our investigative authorities. And they are specifically looking now to hire officers who have the acumen that they want to charge, yeah. right? That will, will create that tunnel vision. Speaking so I'm sorry humor. for that segue. It was just... But speaking of humor, at the end of this, once we get through this, I've, I've got a really interesting current event about comedians and what can happen when you have no sense of humor. All right. But let's get back to seriousness because th there's some stuff here which is yeah. unbelievable. Yes, so I go know. ahead. Go ahead. You're the one, no, with you're the the one who's actually okay. in the process. So, Let's keep you on track. So I got to take friend. this slow because this is really good. Okay. A little verklempt over there. Okay. The defense took issue with how this investigating officer characterized her immediate approach and placed the burden of proof on Watson to prove his innocence. I don't see so, anything wrong with that. The quotes from her actually directly say that. It was like, oh, if I'm you can provide... Right yeah, now. here we go. Under questioning. I didn't immediately think he was guilty. I wanted to give Mr. Watson the benefit of the doubt and give Mr. Watson the opportunity to provide his side of what happened, which I explained to you and Mr. Harden. That's what we do. We're going to get both sides of the truth. Right. Both sides Both of the truth. Sides of the truth. Yeah. Later on, yeah, that's that's so that's Trump. Cute. That's so Trumpian. Uh, later in the cross examination, uh, Baker's approach to sexual assault claims was was examined, and question, and where in your world, Detective Blank? Where in and, your world? <laughs> and I mean this very nicely. Does judgment of credibility come? Does the woman always get the benefit of doubt? 
Answer? <laughs> We're going to need more whiskey. <laughs> I start by believing all victims. Absolutely. I stand by that 100%. Anyone investigating sex crime should start by believing the complainant. Provided defense provides something that, sorry, provided the defense Jeez. provides something that refutes it, we're going to believe the complainant. I start by believing all victims. Absolutely. I stand by that 100%. Anyone investigating a sex crime should start by believing the complainant. She says it twice just for effect. <laughs> That's the investigator. That's not the... Yeah. Lawyer. Harden. I commend this lawyer. Yeah, he did a good job. Very good job. So in your world of investigation, the defendant always has to prove his innocence? Investigating officer, answer, yes. <laughs> Harden. Okay. Uh, are you not aware that... Uh, that's not the way the system's supposed to work, isn't it? <laughs> Detective, uh, supposed to work the other way? That even though you're investigating, or are you not saying that it takes, all it takes is a woman to make an allegation, and once she makes the allegation, the defendant has to disprove it? Officer, yes, the defendant has to disprove it. <laughs> didn't, didn't they have to stop at one point because the lawyer was laughing, the defense lawyer? It's going to come on. I mean, <laughs> sorry, we're going to run long on this one because you don't get this gem of an insight into investigative conduct like this. We should this, put the link to this article in the in the low bar for the, we got the video. This yeah. is great stuff. Like, God bless this civil lawyer is great. Harden. So that would mean, would it not, that in each of these situations where the woman made the allegation at the very beginning, then you're going to believe it until and unless we can succeed and convince you otherwise? Well, it's about evidence, you know, to corroborate your client's version of what happened. Because as you stated before, in the other world of investigating cases, the defendant is presumed innocent. This is the only crime that's reason why they're hard to prosecute and charge and do all of this is, the, I'm, I'm literally quoting it, and that the women never get the benefit of the doubt. They're always presumed to be lying. So, Chris, um, what does this mean in terms of whether or not we need trials? <sighs> Sorry, I'd is say it, it's... Is she just saying that we don't need a trial because she's going to... Well, no, she, no, she no. Needs, she no, needs no, to she, get the defense evidence first so that no, she can decide whether or not who's telling the truth. No, no, she's saying we still need trials so that the accused no, she does. can demonstrate their innocence. This is... But what's this the point the of the trial if she already forces the defense to no, put no, all their be, evidence because, into the Because her view is it's a presumption of guilt and the in, the accused has an obligation to prove his innocence. Let's it's that. a completely... It, Antithetical. It, it's, it's the exact opposite of what both our system and the American system is, the common law system, of the presumption of innocence. That is, the accused walks into court, has zero obligation to prove a single thing, does not have to ask a single question of a witness, does not have to introduce a single piece of evidence, does not have to say a single thing. It is entirely up to the prosecutor to marshal evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that they are guilty. That's just a basic elementary it is the foundation 
of criminal justice in the common law system. Right. So what we're talking about now is prior to trial is the investigative phase. Yeah. And also, I need to point out, there's an absolute failure to realize how serious it is to a person's life to be charged. That's what I was going to say right now. Say that. Talk about that more. Let's talk about the... What is the impact of a charge? Because I alluded to this at the beginning of when we opened up this podcast. Talk about that. People's lives are destroyed the moment they're charged. And there's a failure to appreciate how serious it is to have somebody be charged, especially with sexual assault nowadays. So they're just like, well, we'll let it work itself out in the system. Or we're just going to presume him guilty until, you know, until he finally gets his day in court like two years from now. You know, you know I, I have a case that just resolved by way of the Crown withdrawing the charges. It was a sex assault. It was abundantly clear. Did you bill it out yet? I did. Okay. <clears throat> so that's the only reason why I'm talking about it. Yeah. It, it no. was abundantly clear. No, we're running along on this, guys. Sorry. The, the complainant in this case had some issues that were, were clearly not as a result of being sexually assaulted. The Crown knew it. The, the officer knew it. The Crown said to me, I'm going to try to talk to her. If she agrees to a peace bond, I'll just withdraw the what? charge. At first, the complainant said, no, I want to continue. So the Crown says to me, sorry, I got to continue. We've had a even complainant the, actually scream even, when she found out that they were withdrawing charges. Even though, oh, even though the officer knew that it was just crystal clear, this did not, this was not a sexual assault, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the Crown knew it. My guy, you know, <laughs> is facing these for six months, mm-hmm. right? You know, uh, his uh, application for permanent residency put on hold. Uh, His employment issues start to pile up as a result of this. Plus, of course, just the emotional stress. I think we should have a grand jury kind of system in Canada, too, because there is a lack of... I don't know. I don't know. Something is like, there's got to be some sort of oversight because there's no appreciation anymore for how serious it is to charge someone. I think the population of the United States is more adept at protecting rights than we are in Canada. 100%. I think in Canada, we kowtow way too much to what the politicians say. We fall in line far too easily. In the United States, for all their faults, uh, which you know I mentioned a few times, but, you know, has a good sense of liberty. Yeah. We don't. I think there's a pass the buck kind of thing where it's like police are saying, are being told by supervisors and so on, let the prosecutor decide. And the prosecutor's like, let, ju- let the judge decide because everybody's going to be investigated. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with where that. where it fell through. I, I, I yeah. agree with that. So let's go on to the next thing she but, says. But, so, so, but this is, again, this is like, this is really core, you know. It's truth. Truth you never analysis really of what an investigating officer has done in the United States, which is very similar to Canada because of sentiments that were said after cases were decided. So, you know, that didn't result in convictions. So the defense lawyer, Hardin, continued to drill down on the burden of proof aspect, later focusing on how the investigator would act to sort out what's called a he said, she said allegation, because sometimes, 90% of the time, this occurs within circumstances where it's just two parties in a bedroom. Right. Yeah, there's no corroboration. There's no independent. Or a park. park. So, 
Harden. So let's say the accused person doesn't provide you any evidence. They just simply say, I didn't do it. It's not true. Officer, okay. That actually is evidence. Harden. <laughs> and your position is that the accused does not provide you evidence to disprove what the female complainant has said. Are you always believing the woman? I have no other reason not to. Okay, and so when she makes the allegation, you start out believing her. Yes. And then it's the burden of the defendant to convince you as the investigator that they're wrong. To provide evidence to support that they're wrong. Yes. And it must be corroborated, apparently, because I remember hearing that word earlier. Which I find interesting because the complainant needs no corroboration, but the defense does. Excellent point. Harden. All right. So now if an encounter happens in private between just two people, what evidence can the accused provide to show a woman X is lying or not telling the truth? Investigator. In my cases that I've had, I've had videos. I'm going to cry. I, I've had suspects turn over a video where the... You know, you mean voyeurism? It's our video where <laughs> the complainant alleged one thing and it was not consensual. The video showed it looked pretty consensual. Can you f***ing imagine this? So she Bleep the hell out of me, YouTube. I don't care. So Can you imagine? This is the way you have to defend yourself as a man for your whole f***ing life when you're having sex is to videotape every single sex encounter in your room. Surreptitiously, which... Is also a criminal also, offense. Also right, criminal without offense. consent. <laughs> it's a criminal it's offense. Just, it's a criminal offense to videotape it. I know well, of a case, an actual case out in BC, in which a young I can't, kid I just can't, I can't. had hit the girl he was with of the same age. They're both young people. He filmed her saying, he said, do you consent to having sex right now? And she goes, yes, I do. And the prosecutor used that to show she was too intoxicated. <laughs> in my cases that I've had... I've had videos. I've had a suspect turn over a video where the complaint alleged one thing, said it was not consensual, video showed, didn't look, it looked pretty consensual. Is that how we operate? Is that what we do? We go out on a date, we're seeing somebody, you know. Everybody wears a body cam. Yeah. What the f There's more here, I'm sorry, we're running late on this one. There's just, there's just more, there's more. You gotta hear the rest. It's all good. This is, this is like, this is where we're going, guys and women. I'm telling you, we're destroying human relations. All right. So if you, I love this. I just, I, I want to hug this lawyer. I love this. All right. So if you start out believing the accusation of the woman, no matter what, uh huh, it becomes a burden to convince that somebody didn't do something or didn't uh, commit an offense. What then if the lawyer gives advice to the client not to talk to the police and let the police make their mind up based upon everything else that's available? You're gonna automatically decide he did it? So I'm glad you put it like that because in reality, in our world, that's exactly how it happens. Stop. The honesty. Stop. Stop. Okay, I'm commending the officer too. Yeah, that's honest. I'm actually going to commend this officer. I don't like how she investigates, but she's honest and sincere. She doesn't see anything wrong with that. No. I, I don't care about that, but we'll figure that out later.
No, but that's the but point. She's that's honest. she's being honest. She's absolutely honest. And this is why this is real, raw, authentic, drilled down, look into how this is happening. Okay? So, lawyers will often tell clients, don't give a statement. And there's good reason for that, because you don't understand the evidence against you. You're in a difficult situation where you're caught off guard by an allegation. You have to go into a police station, sit in a foreign room with people who are accusing you of doing something bad. You're and, in high stress. You're high high telling you are you going to be on your best performance to articulate everything you need to articulate? Where every single f***ing word, every single gesture you do, every mannerism is going to be scrutinized to determine whether you're guilty or not. Because you're under different scrutiny than the complainant, in and all due respect. the police are allowed to lie to you. Yeah. Of course they, they are. They're allowed to say things to you to elicit evidence. And that's the whole point of interrogation. It's an unfair balance. So it's right when lawyers say, don't give a statement. You'll have an opportunity to give a statement later on. It's called your trial. Okay? But this is really important. Or your preliminary application. Right. <laughs> Pre-trial application. I'm going to skip ahead now because yeah. I know we're running late. Okay, okay I'm sorry. But let's talk about... <laughs> Be. Coercion versus consent when power and influence is in the room. This is so interesting because we had a, a trial in Canada recently with uh, Jacob Hogard, who's the singer for a band called Headley. And uh, the jury had a question while they were deliberating. They said, um, is she able to consent or is he in a position of authority because he's a celebrity? And it seemed like a stupid question. But I was just like, no, I can totally see why they're asking that. Because when the Me Too movement hit, it was all about people in power, power positions. Power differentials. And, uh, and so I, I remember at one point saying, so if you become a celebrity, you can only have sex with other celebrities? Because otherwise there's a power differential, a power imbalance? And in, so this was the thing that was being promoted, though. And I'm, so, so this is actually like, I was this not real, surprised folks. at all yeah. by that. Yeah. So it was like, at what point do you know when you're privileged? Right, so how is there a, like a dollar amount you have to make per year where all of a sudden you can only sleep with somebody else of a certain dollar amount or something like that? I, I don't understand how this works and who's deciding. So mm -hmm. based upon this, uh, you know, this sort of thesis, mm -hmm. what should happen in the future is if you want to have a partner, exchange tax returns, right? exchange your resumes, and then decide whether you can properly be in the right dynamic. <laughs> Joseph, you fail to understand that there's an inherent power dynamic between men and women. Oh, no, I don't uh, fail to understand so, it. So. Was it Elizabeth Sheehy? Who, who the f*** says that, you know, there's no, there's no, there is no consensual sex? Um, well, Elizabeth Sheehy, she's a law professor who's very influential in our government, actually. Um, she gets consulted all the time. She, she's of a sex-negative uh, point of view, saying that it's basically almost always oppressive. But Catherine McKinnon down in the States was the biggest one for that, right. saying, yeah. Saying and, what? And, Catherine is saying that the women can't consent. Capture this. Women can't consent to sex because they're always oppressed by men. So heterosexual sex, they can, women can't really truly consent. That would is that be, really what they say? That that was yeah. I want to be fair. Like to almost directly quoted, they were saying at one point. Well, it's slightly misinterpreted, but it was Catherine McKinnon and Andrea Dworkin um, who were really promoting that point of view. And then there was the big sex wars battle in the 1980s. That's a whole other subject. We have to finish, so I'm not going to get into no, that. No, but, 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 but this is an important segue because here's what's, here's what's going on in this litigation, okay? So the plaintiff's lawyer was examining about this concept of coercion versus consent. And the assertion was that Watson's status as a powerful and influential person is a quarterback. 
it's like he didn't come up with penicillin. But anyways. Uh, Don't badmouth Dr. Bethune. A powerful and influential person created a scenario in which women could not consent to sexual activity with him. Essentially, the investigating officer agreed that women effectively had no choice but to engage in sexual acts because of Watson's powerful and influential stature. That, that sounded to me like she was actually saying that um, she's conceding the women agreed to do it. No. No. It's, it's, it's much more insidious. Women effectively had no choice no agency. No, no, but but what she's saying is, even if they said yes, they consent, it doesn't. It's not real consent. It's not. It's, it's vitiated. vitiated. It's vitiated because of the power word. dynamic. Women effectively had no choice but to engage in sexual acts because Watson's because of Watson's power and influential status. Look, I, I'm not look maybe a fantastic quarterback. Whatever. This sounds to me like she's making excuses for them, but. Uh... Maybe that's because I haven't looked at the case in detail. <laughs> I just know about the we towel. We actually don't I just know, know the about details. the towel. <laughs> the, you know, it hasn't been litigated. Like well, I, I know more than, you know, I did before. I mean, There's I a reason that the grand jury here. didn't indict. There's, no, no, just, I, there's yeah, got to be a reason the grand jury didn't but, but indict. But this is really, again, I, I, I just please just bear with me. And if you hate this episode, whatever. But this is so important. You know, in this litigation, in this examination of this officer, we get to the real crucible of the problems we're facing now going forward, where we talk about this power differential. And this officer... What is power, though? Because beauty is power, too. So young people are seen as vulnerable, but their youth and their beauty is actually a source of power where an older person could be completely manipulated by a younger person without even realizing it because they're so... Yeah. So yeah. power comes in all different kinds of forms. Right. So, you know, does the police, in this case... The lawyer asked, this is not the one I like. It's the plaintiff's lawyer says, what about a difference in perceived power? We do. A difference in economic power. In other words, one person's incredibly rich and the other person is living hand to mouth. Absolutely, we take that into consideration. So the coercion point was that the suggestion is that Watson's stature, whether physical, financial, or influential, creates pressure scenarios during which the encounters with women are forced into committing these sexual acts. So the officer stated that consent is effectively overridden, overridden by Watson's power and celebrity due to the influence that it could wield upon the woman who uh, are giving massages in this case. As the officer put it, when power and influence is in the room, consent cannot be. It's like f-ing Yoda. When power and influence is in the room, consent That's cannot be. Statement. That's a total Yoda thing. Look, if she's a star... Star Wars fan, I'm, uh, that's great, but don't use Yoda this way. It, I, I can't, I can't, I know we're running late. I just, I just, I'll save it for something else. All right. Well, but, but just get that. Like, so I, you can I, never have consent. Though, where they, they said like they might have to stop because the defense lawyer, you know, Watson's lawyer actually was laughing or something like that. Well, yeah, it goes on where there was, you know, uh, I, I just want to bring that up because, uh, because I, I, I want to finish the episode by talking about one of the most amusing recent news stories. The lawyer laughed at that. Like, I, I don't remember the exact point, so I don't want to misquote it. You know, but, but the lawyer, there was, it's a deposition. So in depositions and discoveries, you don't have a judge present. 
It's in a usually nice examination room where there's cookies and coffee and muffins and it's supposed to be civil, but you know, there's a lot of fighting that goes on in the room and a lawyer who's there on the other side might laugh or do something and so that happened. But I agree. I remember reading one actually where they're just like, can you tell your client not to give my client dirty looks? And it's just like, can we have a neutral person decide whether or not my client is actually giving <laughs> dirty looks? <laughs> it was really funny. So, uh, yeah. but anyways, keeping a sense of humor, we, you know, we mentioned earlier, and it's like in doing this kind of work, um, I came across a, a, a really funny uh, story, recent news, serious news. This is a true story about a UK comedian who had to answer to police because somebody at one of his comedy shows uh, made a complaint. And uh, so the, the cops ended up not, uh, the police officers, constables in the UK, ended up not laying charges, but, um, but they, they did follow up on the investigation and they were quite nice to him. And uh, the comedian, whose name is Joe Lysette, um, is quoted as saying, um, their perfectly understandable response to this was to call the, uh, about this, this complainant, was to call the f***ing police. To be fair to them, the fuzz were very nice about it all, but they felt they had a duty to investigate. This involved me writing a statement explaining the context of the joke for them. I particularly enjoyed putting the words giant donkey dick into a message to a police detective. And this is, like, that is the funniest thing. Comedians are so under attack right now for you know, political correctness attack. and stuff like that. Horribly under attack. What a way to take like an actual co police complaint about a little bit that he has, and and he says that uh, you'll be pleased to know that the joke, which I consider to be one of the best I've ever written, remains firmly and proudly in the show. And I did look up and, and eventually discover what the joke is, but I'm not going to say what it is. Because no, we'll leave that to the yeah, comedian to use. Because he deserves. But that just shows you where PR. that just shows you where we are now. I know. So, before we click glasses, and I know we're late again. Think about what we've talked about here, because if you and go like we'll put the link in yeah. the description and stuff, yeah, and you, you, you definitely like, gotta go read. If you this. like our podcast, like, subscribe, share, hit notifications, thumbs up, notifications. But then think about this: where we are going. This was an incredibly interesting deposition and insight into an investigative uh, techniques and and uh, strategy and. It shows you where we're going and why we have to be so careful because we're going to go down a slippery slope. All no right. Idea. Cheers. Thanks, guys. This was great. Thank you for watching.